Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Welcome everyone to Too Good To Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject of today's show is clowns. But before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research in the Psychic Insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the Psychic Insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names. We apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of clowns, gestures, or the psychology or of laughter. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. Today we're going to discuss clowns. It was your idea that came completely out of the blue. We will also discuss jesters as they developed along with clowns. You didn't hesitate when I suggested the subject. 
I think there are a lot of people who don't like clowns or even fear them. Cholerophobia is the fear of clowns. You didn't seem so fond of clowns when I mentioned the subject. But one clown is counting on, on not too many fearing him. Recently, a headline caught my eye. Professional clown runs for Congress in South Carolina. Here is a quote from Newsweek about candidate Steve Luff. According to what appears to be Luff's LinkedIn profile, Luff studied anthropology at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. In 1998, he started his career as a professional clown at Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus. For 30 years, Luff juggled his profession as a clown and hopes to bring the values he learned at the circus to Congress, unquote. I'm not sure what is included in values to be learned at a circus, but they have a lot of traditions. Is there such thing as a clown party? I'm not aware of one, but a clown was elected to Congress in Brazil in 2010. Here's a quote from the Reuters website from that year. Quote, Francisco Everardo Oliveira Silva, better known by his clown name, Tiririca, received more than 1.3 million votes in the Sao Paulo state, in Sao Paulo state in Brazil's presidential and congressional elections. That was more than double the votes of the second place candidate in Brazil's most populous state. Thierry Rica caught the attention of disillusioned voters by asking for their support with the humorous slogan, it can't get any worse, and a promise to do nothing more in Congress and report back to them on how, politics, how politicians spend their time, unquote. In 2017, he announced he wasn't running again after being elected twice, as he said that he was too embarrassed by his fellow lawmakers. He's going to return full-time to being a circus clown after working on weekends at the circus during his spell in politics. Do you find clowns to be particularly funny? Not really. I'm no fan of traditional circuses. Well, what is the history of clowns? Apparently, clowns started in ancient Egypt 5,000 years ago. African pygmies called dangas were kept to entertain the pharaohs and royal families. About 500 years later, again in Egypt, clowns served as socio-religious and psychological served a socio-religious and psychological role. And traditionally, the roles of priests and clown have been held by the same individuals. I should have known that clowns would be part of an ancient civilization. Yeah, roughly about the same time in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, clowning was mainly done in pantomimes. What is a pantomime? A type of stage entertainment in which performers express meaning through gestures accompanied by music. The idea for the clowns in pantomime was to perform theatrical comic imitations of life through music, song, and narrative. So it was different than a bunch of bodies falling out of an undersized car or riding undersized bicycles. Yes, circus clowns came much later. Where else in the world did clowns show up? In ancient China about 3,000 years ago, clowns were attached to the imperial court as long ago as the Zhao dynasty. So there were clowns in royal courts. What is the difference between a clown and a court jester? That's the guy in the outfit with bells on and the funny pointed hat also with bells on. If the king didn't like the jokes, then it was off with his head. I think that the off with his head part was just out of old movies. In rough terms, I think of a clown as a comedy actor, where a jester is more of a stand-up comedian. There were jesters in ancient Egypt as well as ancient Rome, so there were clowns and jesters with different roles. Jesters are reported as being popular in, in the Aztec civilization in South America between the 14th and 16th centuries. 
There appears to be a human need for entertainment, including the need to laugh. I have to need to laugh. I have to need to laugh when I really shouldn't. But laughter is supposed to be the best medicine. According to the website healthguide.org, laughter has the following physical benefits: boosts immunity, lowers stress hormones, decreases pain, relaxes your muscles, prevents heart disease. Laughter has the following mental health benefits: adds joy and zest to life, eases anxiety and tension, relieves stress, improves mood, strengthens resilience. Laughter also has the following social benefits, strengthens relationships, attracts others to us, enhances teamwork, helps diffuse conflict, promotes group bonding. But what is needed to make you laugh? How much time do we have? There is Humor, the International Journal of Humor Research dedicated to the subject. So it's still being researched. But there's a book by Robert Provine, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of Maryland. What is the book called? It is called Laughter, a Scientific Investigation, published in 2001. Apparently, laughter and humor don't always go together. Only about 10% to 20% of laughs are generated by jokes. Where does the other 80 to 90% come from? Professor Praveen, in an article published in the journal Current Directions in Psychological Science in 2004, explains some then undiscovered facts. Laughter is 30 times more frequent in social situations than solitary ones. When alone, people were much more likely to talk to themselves or smile than to laugh. In conversation, speakers are 46% more likely to laugh than their audiences are, punctuating their own talk with laughter. Only 10 to 15% of comments that precede laughter are even remotely funny. People use laughter as punctuation, inserting it to specific places in the vocal stream. The simple answer is that laughter is just normal behavior for us. Have you more information on why we laugh? An article by neuropsychologist Fabian van der Berg in Forbes magazine from 2017 provides a good summary. Laughter, besides being a result of humor, relays social information to others. And I quote, humor laughing is actually a thing. So what do we see in the brain? When scanning people, we notice that it has to do with expectations and the violation of scripts. We find things funny that don't fit with what we think should happen. Our brains are pretty good at predicting what might happen. We like routines. Anything that deviates will pop out. The detection of whether something is funny or not seems to happen in the left anterior frontal and posterior temporal lobe. Your amygdala then releases dopamine and spindle neurons transmit the happy feeling to other areas. Different types of jokes result in different types of activation, of course. Puns, for instance, make the language centers go wild. Regardless of the joke type, the brain responds to humor. Humor is when we expect one thing and then something else happens, when our scripts are broken in a non-threatening way. This also corresponds with a lot of jokes and physical humor. You expect one thing and then the twist turns it around completely. The brain doesn't necessarily decide if something is funny. It's more a question of, did, I, did it see it coming? If expectations are violated, it can elect joy and happiness. The entire process, the hows and whys aren't known yet, but I believe the general consensus that it relays social information to others. It signals that nothing bad is going on, everything is fine, so join in and don't worry. End quote. Do we learn to laugh at things as we grow up? According to laughter therapist and psychologist Dr. Steve Wilson, infants laugh almost from birth. 
people who are born blind and deaf still laugh. So we don't learn laughter. It's part of how we are made. What happens in our bodies when we laugh? I will quote from the special needs website. And I quote, 15 facial muscles contract, our breathing becomes irregular, as well as we half close our larynx and even our tear ducts can be activated. Our muscles throughout our bodies contract as laughter spreads from our face, through our respiratory system, and eventually through our entire bodies. People usually laugh because they're happy, but laughter also has the power to make us happy. Laughter releases endorphins or neurotransmitters that have similar effects as such as drugs as morphine, which are responsible for feelings of euphoria. Within our immune system, laughter increases the amount of T cells, which are the body's natural defense against viruses, cancer cells, and other disease-causing cells. Levels of B cells, which make disease-destroying antibodies, and levels of immunoglobins A, G, and M, which help fight infection, all rise. End quote. It sounds like laughter is necessary just for a workout and for a healthy immune system. Well, laughter is a workout. But we'll have to continue talking about laughter, clowns, how this all relates, and then get to the psychic insight and the questions after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Echozone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like x-zone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.
Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were talking about laughter. But I'll quote again from the Special Needs website. Laughter works the cardiovascular system and lowers blood pressure, so it's like a cardio workout. It also increases memory and cognitive functioning. The average adult laughs only 17 times a day. It all sounds very beneficial, but can you die laughing? Apparently, yes. Here is a quote from Wikipedia. Death from laughter is a rare form of death, usually resulting from cardiac arrest or asphyxiation caused by a fit of laughter. Instances of death by laughter have been recorded from the times of ancient Greece to the modern day, end quote. Here are two examples from the same Wikipedia article, Retainer is another name for servant. Cleopatra, ruler of Egypt in 51 to 30 BC, said her retainer died from laughter after witnessing her husband's death, end quote. And another one. And I'll quote, the 1988 movie comedy A Fish Called Wanda features a scene where actor Michael Palin gets some french fries stuffed up his nose and a pear in his mouth. In 1989, a Danish audiologist named Ole Benson found the scene so side-splittingly funny that his heart rate rose to an estimated 250 to 500 beats per minute, leading to a fatal heart attack, end quote. But let's go back to court jesters. They seem to be fun. Yeah, court jesters in the Middle Ages had other duties besides just making the king or queen laugh. Here's a quote from the website History Extra. Quote, But being selected as a personal jester of a medieval king or nobleman came with a serious health warning. Jesters were often required to go to the battlefield with their masters to carry messages between the leaders of warring armies, demanding that the city surrender to a besieging army, or delivering terms for the release of hostages. Unfortunately for the jesters, the enemy did sometimes kill the messenger as an act of defiance, especially if they regarded the terms being offered as an insult. And some used a catapult or trebuchet to hurl the unfortunate messenger or his severed head back to his own camp as a graphic illustration of what they thought of the message." Unquote. Did they have other duties besides becoming projectiles? Yes, they did. Uh, they entertained the troops. Here's another quote from the same website. The football referred to is actually soccer. Quote, Jesters also had a vital role to play in the battle themselves. In the early Middle Ages, their job was to wage psychological war warfare, boosting their army's morale the night before with songs and stories. 
when the two armies took up their opposing positions in preparation of battle, the jesters would cavort up and down on foot or on horseback between them, calming the nerves of their own men by making them laugh at jokes, singing baldy or insulting songs, and then calling out mocking abuse to their enemies in order to hearten their own soldiers and demoralize the opposition, rather like modern-day football supporters before a match. Some even juggled swords or lances in front of the enemy, taunting and baiting them until those with the hottest tempers broke ranks and charged prematurely to avenge the insult and kill the fool, which would weaken their defensive position. Unquote. Court jesters were retained by monarchs or nobles, but there were other jesters that travelled round, around as entertainers. Did Henry VIII have a court jester? Yes, more than one. His best-known jester was Will Summers, who joined Henry's court in 1825. After calling Anne Boleyn a whore and Princess Elizabeth illegitimate, Henry VIII wanted to kill him. But Summers survived to outlive Henry VIII. Here's a quote from the website Times of the Tudors. Fool, as we heard earlier, is another word for jester. Quote, the king was very fond of his fool, and Summers showed his loyalty by remaining in the king's service till the very end of Henry's life. In later years, when the king's ulcer in his leg was causing him immense pain, Will Summers was the only one who could make the king smile. Despite the rather condescending title of fool, Will Summers had a good deal of integrity combined with discretion, which made him perfect for his role at court. He often drew the king's attention to the extravagance of his court by small witty remarks and jokes. Court jesters had always had a special familiarity with the monarchs and the royal family and the royal family and was allowed to utter things that would have sent any everyone else to the scaffold. Unquote. I think that we should move on to discussing the circus clowns of more modern times. Yes, Philip Astley created what is thought to be the first modern circus in England in seventeen sixty eight. He also created the first circus clown called Billy Buttons. That was based on a popular tale of a tailor trying trying to ride a horse to vote in an election. Of course, he rode the horse very badly and kept falling off. What is it with clowns and elections? I don't know the answer to that, but here's a quote from Wikipedia regarding how Astley created the traditional circus. Quote, Astley rode in a circle rather than a straight line as his rivals did, and thus chanced on the format which was later named a circus. He performed his stunts in a ring 40 feet in diameter, which is the size used by circuses ever since. In 1770, he hired acrobats, tightrope walkers, jugglers, and a clown to fill in the pauses between acts. Unquote. For the ring, 42 feet in diameter is about 13 meters. Didn't they have circuses in ancient Rome? Yes, but that was all to do with chariot racing. So when did the classic circus clown with the makeup white face first appear? That was the invention of Joseph Grimaldi, who was born in 1778. Remember the pantomimes that we talked about earlier? They were popular in the London theatre and included a Harlequin character. This was a mute comic character, typically wearing a mask and dressed in a diamond pattern costume. Grimaldi invented a character called Joey and rather than wearing a mask, put on the white makeup and expanded the comic role so much that jo Joey the Clown replaced the Harlequin. Grimaldi died a depressed alcoholic in 1837 after being out of work due to suffering a series of injuries during his performances. Were there any clowns in North America? Yes, circuses became very popular in the United States in the 19th century, so there were clowns including a female clown. 
But before we talk about Amelia Butler, here's a story set in 19th century London from the First Night History website. Quote, the story is told that in 1806, a man goes to visit a doctor who is acclaimed for his ability to treat melancholia. I can't eat, I can't sleep, said the man. I feel constantly miserable. Please help me, doctor. Laughter is the best medicine, my friend, says the doctor. Take yourself off to the Covent Garden Theatre where you will find the great Grimaldi performing in Harlequin and Mother Goose or the Golden Egg. It is exquisitely funny and will cure, cure you of all your ills with any pills or potions from my cabinet. The man looks at the doctor for a moment. Ah, he says, that won't help. Why not, sir? The man shrugs. I am Grimaldi. So what is there to know about Amelia Butler? Not a lot, but besides she was a clown in 1858, along with the, the big red nose that isn't shown in the pictures of Joseph Grimaldi. But she was the first female clown in the United States. Who is the next notable clown in the United States? That was Dan Rice, who looked like the caricature Uncle Sam with the stars and stripes outfit, including the top hat, but with white makeup and the big red nose. Here is a quote from Britannica. Dan Rice, original name Daniel McLaren, born January the 25th, 1823 in New York City, died February the 26th, 1900 in Long Branch, New Jersey, New Jersey, was an American clown who was the, one of the most highly acclaimed clowns in the history of the circus. Rice was renowned for an act that included singing, dancing, uh, witty badinage with the audience, feats of strength, trick riding, and exhibitions of trained wild animals. He was a jockey as a boy and started his circus career at 17 when he bought a half interest in a trained pig. Next, he was a strong man, and in 1844, he made his debut as a clan. A star of the one-ring circus, Rice achieved national prominence as an equestrian jester. By the 1860s, he was at the height of his career, commanding the then phenomenal salary of $1,000 a week. He toured the United States with his own one-horse show and with other circuses. I was recognized everywhere by the Uncle Sam beard that was his trademark. President Zachary Taylor made Rice an honorary colonel. In 1868, he put himself forward for the Republican nomination for the presidency. An alcoholic, Rice began walking out on contracts and in 1885, he made his last tour." Unquote. The word badinage means humorous or witty conversation. Again, what is it with clowns in elections? Dan Rice campaigned for Zachary Taylor for president, inviting Taylor to ride on the circus bandwagon in the circus parade. Local politicians would do their best to join them to get in front of the people. That inspired the expression to jump on the bandwagon. It appears that both clowns and politicians want to get in front of the people and get their attention. Yes, but there are different types of clowns, not just white-faced clowns. But let's start with a description of the white-faced clown from Wikipedia. The white-faced or white clown holds the highest status in the clown hierarchy and is the oldest of the clown archetypes. In modern times, when white faces perform with other clowns, they usually function as a straight man, top banana or leader of the group. White-faced clowns use clown white makeup to cover their entire face and neck, with none of the underlying flesh color showing. Features are then usually painted on in either red or black. What's another type? There is the August or Red Clan, again from Wikipedia. 
Accompanying the white clown, there is often another clown variety known as the august or red clown. The august role is different from that of the white clown. In strict classical European circuses of the past, the augusts were never described as clowns because technically they were not the not instigators but recipients of the comic doings. The augusts are the ones who get the pies in the face, are squirted with water, are knocked down on their backside, sit accidentally in wet paint, or have their pants ripped off. Unquote. Love to continue talking about clowns after this short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. ABS Media The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, 
the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back to Too Good To Be True. And before the break, we were discussing the different types of clowns, and we discussed the white-faced clowns and the red clown. So hopefully we don't have too many more types of clowns, but what's next? Yeah, the character clown, again from Wikipedia, quote, the character clown adopts an eccentric character of some type, such as a butcher, a baker, a policeman, a housewife, or hobo. Prime examples of this type of clown are the Circus Tramps, Otto Grubling, and Emmett Kelly. On film, Red Skelton, Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, and Charlie Chaplin would all fit the definition of a character clown, unquote. I haven't heard of any of these people, except we walked by Charlie Chaplin's old house with a sign on it quite by accident a few years ago. Yes, I think we were lost at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Buster Keaton's and Charlie Chaplin's old silent movies are hilarious. Uh, Both Keaton and Chaplin starred in the movie Limelight from 1952. Chaplin plays a once famous stage clown, but now washed up drunk. The once famous stage clown sounds like Joseph Grimaldi. I wonder if there's any connection. I'd never thought of Chaplin as a type of clown, but as a tramp. But I guess a tramp was a type of character clown. But maybe Chaplin unlocked the secret of clowns in his description of how the character of the tramp was spontaneously created. Um, here's a quote. I don't have the, uh, the reference, but anyway. A hotel, was set up, a hotel set was built for fellow Keystone comment Mabel Norman's picture, Mabel's strange predicament, and I was hardly told to put on a funny makeup. This time I went to the wardrobe and got a pair of baggy pants, a tight coat, a small derby hat, and a large pair of shoes. I wanted the clothes to be a massive contradictions, knowing pictorially the figure would be vividly outlined on the screen. To add a comic touch, I wore a small moustache would, 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 which would not hide my expression." Unquote. The quote actually is from Wikipedia continues. The clothes seemed to, be, seemed to imbue me with the spirit of the character. He actually became a man with a soul, a point of view, unquote. Maybe the clothes being a mass of contradictions while also creating the persona of the character explains why circus clowns could make people laugh. Remember that earlier we mentioned that we laugh when the brain encounters something unexpected in an an unthreatening situation. Aren't circus clowns losing their popularity? Yes, traditional circuses are going away. For example, the famous Ringling Brothers of Barnum and Bailey Circus permanently closed in May of 2017. Also, author Stephen King didn't help the image of clowns in his 18, sorry, his 1986 novel It by including a child-murdering demonic circus clown. There was also the Joker in the 2008 Batman movie, The Dark Knight. He had a white clown face, and he was totally psychotic. Here's a quote from uh, the BBC's website from 2008 regarding what some children think of clowns. Quote, and it probably comes as no surprise to horror fans that a University of Sheffield study of 250 children for a report on hospital design suggested children find clown motifs, motifs frightening and unknowable. Unquote. 
In 2011, a circus in Worcestershire, England offered clown therapy to overcome cholerophobia, as more and more adults expressed a genuine fear of clowns. But wasn't there a crime wave involving creepy clowns a few years ago? Here's a quote from Newsweek from 2014. 14 teenagers dressed as clowns were arrested in the south of France on Saturday after arming themselves with knives, baseball bats, and pistols and intimidating local residents, according to French police. The incident is the latest in the wave of incidents featuring people in clown costumes, which has been sweeping France since early October. In Montepeller, a man dressed as a clown was arrested after assaulting a man with an iron bar, end quote. Weren't there more of creepy clowns in 2016? Yes, there was. Here's a quote from Wikipedia. The 2016 clown sightings were reports of people disguised as armed evil clowns in incorious settings such as near forests and schools. The incidents were reported in the United States, Canada, and subsequently in other countries and territories from August 2016. The sightings were first reported in South Carolina when a nine-year-old boy told his mom that two suspicious males dressed as clowns tried luring him into the nearby woods. By mid-October 2016, clown sightings and attacks have been reported in nearly all U.S. states, nine out of 13 provinces and territories of Canada, and 18 other countries. Prior to the spate of incidents in 2016, Numerous sightings of people dressed as clowns in odd or incorious settings have occurred throughout the world since 2013. The proliferation of videos and images of those precursor sightings spread through social media posts and viral sharing of content, most notably from DM Pranks, a YouTuber user from Per... I'm going to mispronounce this. Per... Dad, do you want to pronounce that? Perugia. There we go. Thank you. Italy. And the article continues. By mid-October 2016, in the wake of hundreds of clown sightings in the United States and Canada, the phenomenon has spread from North America to Europe, Israel, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and South America. End quote. Thank you. Uh, With that world news, I think it's time for the first question. Circus clown costumes and makeup exaggerate features including noses as well as hands and feet. It just looks freakish just for a comedy it's just looking freakish just for comedy behind people's fear of clowns. Not exactly. So part of it is that people don't really accept people who look different from themselves. So obviously clowns have their own way in the way they look. So one, there's this difference factor. And two, humans go usually with normal proportions. So yes, there's some truth behind having larger proportions that makes them look a lot different. And some would say, yes, freaky. What values are learned by working in the circuses besides the show must go on? There are a lot of values, but the main one is acceptance. So instead of different people who work in circuses hiding away or hiding that they are different, instead they accept these differences. And in a lot of different performers in their circles, it basically belongs into a type of family where the different performers come together and form this family unit where they know they, they are different from every normal quote-unquote person, but they accept each other and they spend so much time together. So instead of hiding and not really showing their differences, they accept them. How could the people of Sao Paulo State twice elect a candidate who is a professional circus clown to the Brazilian Congress? 
they were just a likable person. So that's the thing is that people are interested and people differ from themselves. And some people actually quite enjoy clowns. Why would ancient Egyptians find pygmies to be amusing? Is it because pygmies are smaller people and were perceived as being different? Yes, and some of them viewed them as being quite adorable, since humans view smaller things, such as smaller animals, even children, as adorable. Is it true that in ancient Egypt, some priests also had the duty of performing as clowns? Not exactly how clowns look like today, but yes, in their own form. Was there a need for pantomime in ancient Greece and Rome to perform theatrical comic imitations of life through music, song, and narrative? So, in almost every culture, laughter is a form of emotion that a lot of people seek out. So, a lot of people don't get laughter in their daily lives, so they seek it out, especially in different theatrical performances. So, basically, they had a performance where people would laugh and just have a good time together. So this can be seen in almost every culture where there are different types of entertainers, such as clowns, which make people laugh and have a good time. You've probably answered most of this already, but why did clowns and gestures appear in royal courts throughout the ancient world? Was there a great human need for laughter and entertainment? Yes, in all cultures, as mentioned, and usually the royal families especially did not have much laughter, since a lot of their business was mostly serious. So they have they did have a need for this laughter. Are there more benefits to laughter than currently understood? Yes, so laughter is one of those emotions that really affects humans and humans around. So laughter is contagious, you could say in a way, and having these positive emotions really helps the body. So laughing and the happiness it brings is very important. Is there humor when we expect one thing and then something else happens? In some situations, yes. Does laughter relay social information to others? Yes. Why don't we fully understand why we laugh? It's one of those human emotions that really can't be explained. So it's just something that humans do that isn't fully understood yet, but it's understood in a social context. Do our animal friends experience anything like laughter when they are entertained? In a way, yes, but they don't express laughter in the same way. Why are humans born already wired for laughter without having to learn to laugh? Because it is already processed in their brains, though there's different emotions that are in the brain that aren't socially learned, while their emotions are socially learned. Is laughter necessary for maintaining good health? One could say that, yes. When people die laughing, is it meant to happen? Is dying laughing included on life charts? That could be said, yes. So when someone dies from laughing too hard, it was meant to happen? Yes, their, meant was, their death was meant to happen. In time of war, how did the court jester become the messenger to the enemy and assign the task of waging psychological warfare along with raising their army's morale? Because basically the jester brought happiness and something different in the time of pain, suffering, sadness, even anger. So the jester represented more of what was back home with the laughing and the happiness. And as a messenger, it was easier to send a more neutral party, even though it wasn't a completely neutral party. And during the times of war, the soldiers are in such different psychological places, they need just small things to remind them of their home, remind them why they're in war, and what they're doing for their country. 
so psychologically they need this small bit of happiness which comes from different forms. But we'll have to continue with the questions and the psychic insight after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www. WilliamSPeckham.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and the psychic insight. So, Dad, can you please continue on the questions? Why did Henry VIII spare the life of his court jester, Will Summers, after threatening to kill him when death sentences were then a common form of punishment? Because he quite liked him. Why does the image of the court jester typically bring a smile while the image of a white-faced clang typically does not? 
just because of what society accepts and does not accept. So clowns at one time were very mainstream, where clowns were at a lot of children's birthday parties. They were performing all over. And then clowns became more of a sinister idea. So it's just what people are accepting and not accepting and what they have grown up with. What was the inspiration behind the first circus clown, Billy Buttons? Basically, just an image that came up in his imagination and the idea to look different from everyone else in a more fun, creative way. Where did Joseph Cromaldi get the idea for the white-faced clown? Basically, again, just creativity and to stand out. What can we learn from the lifetime of Joseph Grimaldi, aside from loss of health, is a far too high a price for fame? Basically, that every performer, every entertainer, no matter what field they're in, so it can be theatrical, singer, or dancer, they need to be sure that they focus on themselves, too. So sometimes the so-called fame affects their health, their personal lives. And he had very good means of trying to entertain and help. But there needs to be a split between having downtime for yourself and also making sure you're helping other people. Is it true that talented comics are often sad in their normal life and don't themselves benefit very much from laughter? Yes, a lot of comedians actually had a rough upbringing, rough childhood, and turning that into something that's humorous and making other people laugh is actually a coping mechanism for them. Besides his obvious talent, how did Dan Rice become so famous and wealthy? Just because of his personality and how likable he was to society and the different people. So there are just some people who just come across more likable. Why would a clown such as Dan Rice think he could be elected president of the United States? That's a complicated question, but a lot of people believe that they could run a country better than the past presidents they've seen. So they actually do believe they could do a better job and that more of the public would be on their side. Why did we come across several stories of clowns being associated with politics and elections? Because it's in a way a combination of they're famous for one, and two, they want to make politics into something more fun and entertaining. So in a way, it's kind of a strange clashing of world where politics is very serious and entertainment is more fun and lighthearted most of the time. So it's that concept that politics is different, not as serious, and then maybe things would be run differently. Why did both Joseph Grimaldi and Dan Rice both suffer alcoholism? This goes back to being sad and past traumas and not having enough time or work on his oneself. So you need to make sure that you always have time for yourself and time to do what a person loves. And a lot of entertainers, not just these two, put a lot of time and effort into their entertainment and not much into their personal lives. So instead of entertainment becoming their coping mechanism, it turns into something much different. And then they turn into a different coping different coping mechanism, which sometimes in this case obviously is alcohol. So a price of so a price of fame could be not looking after yourself. Exactly, and not having the support system in the personal life that they may have needed to cope with past trauma. So to get over any trauma, you need some type of positive coping mechanism, but you also need the support aspect. Was becoming an alcoholic part of the life plans of Joseph Grimaldi or Dan Rice? Yes, both of them. Was it a coincidence in the movie Limelight that the main character was a washed-up alcoholic stage clan having the same situation as Joseph Grimaldi? There was some truth intertwined. So was Charlie Chaplin aware of Joseph Grimaldi? 
Yes. Does Charlie Chaplin's description of how he invented his most famous movie character, The Tramp, including the clothes being a mass of contradictions, help explain the essential characteristics of any type of clan? That could be said, yes. Do we laugh when the brain encounters something unexpected in an unthreatening situation? Yes, and laughter is also <laughs> expressed when there's an uncomfortable situation sometimes. So it's not always a positive situation, but some people laugh in situations that are also uncomfortable. How did the white-faced clown end up as, as a stereotypical creepy clown? So there is this conversion where an everyday scenario, such as going to the circus, became a scenario that was much darker. So that's where a lot of horror is, is that it's a normal situation. Let's take, obviously, a clown, for example. So a lot of people have been to a circus at least once in their lives and have seen clowns. So that's taken into the horror context, and those clowns, those figures, that most people remember seeing are turned into something much more dark. Besides those who suffer cholerophobia, why do people find clowns to be so creepy? For example, in the Stephen King novel, It. Because of the social context. So the problem is that clowns have over the years became something much more creepy. So when someone's young, they're either taught something's good or bad. And for example, clowns. Let's say a child is born into a family where their parents are clowns. They're going to view clowns as something positive, something loving. And they will be around them and not scared of them. However, if a child is placed and sees a circus, and then later hears a creepy story about clowns, or for example, Caesar reads a book it, about it, then they will have the social context that clowns are bad and they need to stay away from them. So it's all these social cues and social contexts which tell a person if something's good or bad. So also take the example of a spider. A lot of people are scared of spiders, so usually the parents will teach their children, not even consciously teach their children, but in a very subtle way where spiders are bad. So it's this handing down from society of what's bad and good. Why don't people today, including children, relate to circus clowns? Is it because few people go to the traditional circus, circus, which has become outdated? Yes, so circuses used to be a lot more available. And circuses today aren't what they used to be before. So now circuses are more about acrobatics and doing amazing stunts rather than the clowns. What besides social media was behind the crime waves from 2013 involving creepy clowns? basically the attention that these clowns got. So it started where the media, the social media, would report one clown that would make another person want to follow the creepy clown so they would get attention too. So that's the problem is a lot of people will do things just for this attention since they want to feel important. And it wasn't even about scaring people. It was more that they knew that they would be featured on social media and the news. I think you've already answered this, but many individuals just want to appear creepy. Sorry, but do many, uh, or did many individuals just want to appear creepy rather than get involved in crime? Yes, there were a lot that, again, just wanted attention and didn't actually want to harm anybody. You've probably answered this already for Grimaldi, but what can we learn from the lives of both Joseph Grimaldi and Dan Rice? Basically, in that any career that a person should not get over-involved in their career. So there still needs to be time with family, friends, doing things for themselves. And also a lot of entertainers seem to have the perfect life, but that's not always true. So you never see what's going on in the background of entertainers' lives. And they put on kind of a show in a way, even sometimes in their personal lives. 
So it's important to make others laugh, but it's also important to continue to make yourself happy. So being famous is extremely hard work. Yes, and a lot of people can't handle the pressure. What can we learn from most laughter not arising from jokes? One, that some people laugh in uncomfortable situations, and that's okay. That's how some people cope with situations. And two, is that happiness can come in different, many different forms. So laughing usually makes someone happy, which is positive. But happiness also comes from smaller, big things. So happiness may come from just going for a walk, reading a book, doing yoga, going to the gym, something small, even to even smaller things such as getting ice cream for the day. So laughter is linked to happiness, but laughter is not the end all of happiness. That was the last answer. Are clowns something not to be afraid of, too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. I hope that the last hour was helpful for those with a fear of clowns. Uh, you're among friends. Well, with that, if you are a clown or not a clown, either way, you can visit our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True or our website at toogoodtobetrue.net. And we would love to hear any future suggestions. Is there some other type of phobia you want us to cover? Do you want a show about spiders? I don't like spiders, but we could still do a show about spiders. So you can send us any suggestions there or any comments about today's show. Yes, so we're always looking for new suggestions. We're working on some from listeners. And uh, the more we get, the better. Um, we sometimes combine them, sometimes we don't. But... Uh, this today wasn't a listener suggestion. It came completely out of the blue. And I think we just want to do something lighter in between more serious subjects. Yes, and Dad, you were also uh, admitted that you don't like clowns very much. So I will be delivering a clown to your house, if that's okay with you. Okay, that's very kind of you. I have to admit, I had a memory of being taken to a circus when I was a very young child and a, and a, and a distant memory of uh, all the kindness of my parents taking me there. And then uh, not enjoying it and wanting to run out of the place, I think I did. So I think that was my only uh, circus experience. And I seem to remember um, elephants going around in a circle, and that's about all I can remember about it. And I don't think it smelled very good either. Yeah, I remember seeing elephants and wanting to pet the elephants, but nobody would let me. So I never got to pet an elephant. But that's okay. But as always, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you want a show about elephants, I don't know how we'd really do that. But if you have any other suggestions, we would love to hear from you guys as listeners. And as always, we thank you for listening and we look forward to next week's show. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. 
As this is the first book in the esoteric series, modern esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.